Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for the first half hour is Neil Godfrey. She is the president of the Children's Financial Network, author of 27 books, including one we're going to talk about a bit today, which is called Money Doesn't Grow on Trees. Her website is neilgodfrey.com. Welcome to the show, Neil. Thank you. It's great to be here. Just give us a little bit of your background. You've been doing this for a long time, but kind of the history you've had in, in helping children and family do better with their money. Well, uh, when I was president of the First Woman's Bank, I watched women be uncomfortable handling their own money, and I did some research and found out that it was because we never taught them anything as children. So I had two little kids at that point, Jordan, and I went to look for books to teach my own kids about money, and this was in about 1985, and there were no books to teach kids about money. So my then three-year-old daughter said, Mommy, why don't you write the books? And I looked at her, and she saw the look on my face that said, Whoa, whoa, whoa. I know how to be a bank president. I don't know how to write books. So, of course, she said, Oh, you're afraid, aren't you, Mommy? So being the great mother I was, Jordan, I crouched established eye contact and said, no, I'm not afraid. So I wrote the first book to teach kids about money in the United States. So that's how I got started with my own kids. Tell us a little bit about the Children's Financial Network. What does that involve? And how can people be involved in it? What can they get from interacting with it? Well, basically, I help people to be comfortable with the money side of their life and also to be able to raise financially responsible children so that someday those kids are going to be able to be out on their own. And I have a website, neilgodfrey.com, where people can go on and talk about the different life stages that we go through with money and, of course, talk about raising financially responsible children so that I give them tips and tools to make sure that the life they design is the one that they want and that they're going to be able to afford themselves. How are things different today as far as raising kids and money than back in the mid-80s when you had your own children? Well, unfortunately, a lot of it has not changed. Our kids are still born with the I want, I want syndrome. If they see something, they want it. But what is different is social media is instant gratification, is the idea that they can see anything, click through to anything, and really know um, not only what's happening all over the world, which is positive, but also it adds more peer pressure when you've got social media and the kids are wearing the coolest thing and there's instantaneous information about all that. So you also talk about parents and how they should kind of relate to each other as well as their kids. Why do couples often fight about money? Well, um, actually, couples fight more about money than they fight about any other thing, and it's actually the number one cause of divorce. 
And when I was doing Oprah, I worked with her for four and a half years on air and did 13 shows. And we kept doing show after show after show about financial infidelity and all these issues surrounded around money. Unfortunately, for a lot of people, money is life's report card. And therefore, um, we come into the world with certain preconceived notions about money. And most of us are born with a financial personality or basically a saver or a spender. And if you don't happen to find that exact partner who looks at money the same way you do, you know what? You're going to be in for some trouble. So you're saying that a marriage is better to have two savers or two spenders, or is it better to have one saver and one spender to kind of balance each other off? If you can communicate, it is perfect to have a saver and spender. But remember, you came into that with your own baggage, with the way you were raised, and you believe that the way you handle money is the right way. So if you've got a saver and you've got a spender who may not be communicating really well, you're going to have problems. If you have two savers or if you have two spenders who are not communicating, you also may be doomed, meaning extreme savers are not able to have joyful spending. They can become hoarders. They can become anxious about being able to spend. That's not a healthy way to go through life. And we know what happens with the extreme spenders. They get trouble, and they start out in trouble. So that's not healthy either. You do want a balanced financial personality, really right in the middle, where you can have healthy saving where you set your goals, but joyful spending. So what are some specific ways to improve communication around saving and spending decisions with a couple? Um, I mean, they're supposed to have budgets together. What are some specific things they can do, and particularly if they have different styles? They have to sit down and, number one, decide on their goals. The big thing is, what do we want as a couple? And decide that together. And it may be a house. It may be vacations. It may be retirement. It may be that you're having kids and you want to get them to college. Whatever those goals are, write them down. Memorialize them. So now you're on the same page. Now, in order to get there, what are we going to have to do? So you have to put a price tag by all of those items and then back it up and decide today, if we start saving for all those, what do we have to do? Now, all of a sudden, you are talking to each other. It's not financial infidelity where somebody's sneaking around saying, well, I'm going to do this and don't tell this one and don't tell that one. We're on the same page because you agree upon the goals. And then if you can agree upon the goals, what you want to do is agree upon how you're going to budget. But here's the big thing. Each of you needs some discretionary spending, that guilt-free spending. If you don't have it, you're going to be finger-pointing at each other, and you will get into trouble. So exactly what is financial infidelity and what causes it? Well, financial infidelity is several things. Number one, hiding the bills from each other. That certainly happens. Um, 
having credit cards where you don't share what has happened with those. Um, it's also getting and co-opting the kids. There are a lot of parents who say, oh, don't tell your father that I spent this, or don't tell your mother that I'm buying this. Now, all of a sudden, the kids are part of this financial infidelity, and it becomes non-transparent. Like, just stop it. Sit down. Talk about it. Make sure that what you're really doing is that you're on the same page. The reason you both need guilt-free spending is that you don't have someone looking over your shoulder saying, well, you need that new tool. Well, that's stupid. Well, you just had a value judgment on that. Or having him say, really, you need to have your nails done once a month? That's built into your budget? Yeah, hey, that's part of my guilt-free spending so that you're not picking on each other for doing things that you want. And then you don't get caught in the trap of hiding what you're doing with money. What's one of the biggest horror stories you've heard about uh, a case of financial infidelity? Well, I had, for me anyway, the biggest horror story was on Oprah. I was doing B-roll, and as you know, it's, that's the, the background information that you do before you get on the live show, and they cut that, what we call B-roll, into the live segment. So I was sitting with a young couple. They had a two-year-old child, and... Her little cute overspending, she liked to buy cards and glitter and things like that for people. I mean, we're talking seriously $20 a month. Okay, but that was her little thing, and she hid it from her husband. So I was going down, Jordan, and building a budget for the two of them, and I said, are these all the budget items that are on here that, you know, that you have responsibilities for, is there anything else that you've left off? And he sat there and he turned to me and he looks in the camera and he said, well, yeah, I've got another item, but I never told her about it. When, before we got married, I had an illegitimate son and I'm paying my girlfriend money each month for this child. And I just sat there with my mouth open. It was like, this is when you decided was a good time to tell her (laughs) about this? I freaked out, Jordan. She started crying. She got up and ran out of the room. And the cameramen were looking at me like, all right, now now what do we do? (laughs) So I would say that was the biggest one of financial infidelity that I've ever faced. So how do you save a relationship when you have that kind of situation? Well... Frankly, I ran after her because we were in a hotel, and I didn't know if she was going up to the top floor to jump out of the, the, the window. So I had the director go with me upstairs because I was like, this is above my pay grade. I don't know what to do. So I sat down and I talked to her, and I said, tell me, um, you know, would you, do you need a little time out right now or what? tell me what you want. And she said, no, 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 I want to save this relationship, but I I don't even know what to do with it. I said, all right, sit here. I ran back to him, and I sat down with him and did mention to him that this was not necessarily something that was a great time to bring it up. And, of course, he said to me, well, you asked the question. Okay, then. 
Anyway, what I did was, which was very interesting, I brought them back together and had them talk about the emotions that they felt during this huge infidelity, but that their end goal was to work this out together and that she was also ultimately willing to help take on the economic burden with this child, but her deal was she wanted to meet him, she wanted to know him, she wanted him integrated into their life together with their new child. So she was amazing during this whole process, frankly. He was like a deer caught in headlights. I don't think he knew what happened to him. Um, But he obviously wanted to be able to be honest with her, but had no ability to. So part of this is sitting down with a counselor. I'm not a counselor, but I turned into one that day. Um, and, And working out again, what are your goals? What do you want? For this marriage, what do you want it to look like? Do you want secrets or you don't? No. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest for this half hour is Neil Godfrey. She's the president of the Children's Financial Network. She's the author of 27 books about uh, personal finance. Uh, her website is neilgodfrey.com, spelled N-E-A-L-E, godfrey.com. We'll be back after this. Molecule is reimagining the future of clean air, starting with the air purifier. It's the only purifier that actually destroys allergens instead of collecting them for disposal. Molecule was developed over 20 years ago by a scientist whose son suffered from asthma, and it was frustrated by the fact that traditional HEPA air filters did not relieve his son's symptoms. Molecule's proven technology actually destroys harmful pollutants like bacteria, viruses, mold, allergens, and airborne chemicals at the molecular level, completely removing them from the air you breathe. Molecule is your best defense against asthma and allergy attacks. When you turn on your Molecule machine, you're creating the purest air possible, combating allergy season by destroying allergens in your home. People have heard about hundreds of stories from parents, pet lovers, and severe allergy and asthma sufferers about how Molecule has transformed their lives. One customer even said she was able to breathe through her nose for the first time in 15 years. Molecule doesn't look like traditional air filter. It's beautifully designed. Think of it as like the apple of air purifiers. Not only is the technology inside revolutionary, but unit itself looks sleek and modern. Breathing clean air can help you sleep better, too. Placing your molecule next to your bed clears the air you're breathing, helping you get the best night of sleep you've ever had. As a Money Answer Show listener, try out Molecule for yourself. Go to Molecule.com, that's spelled M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com, and at the checkout, enter code MONEYANSWERS to get $75 off your first order. That's Molecule.com and the code MONEYANSWERS to get $75 off your first Molecule air filter. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, 
music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this half hour is Neil Godfrey. She's an expert on personal finances with children and families. Uh, her website is neilgodfrey.com. She's the author of 27 books on these topics. What we'll talk about today a little bit is called Money Doesn't Grow on Trees. Uh, Neil, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Tell people a little bit more about what they can find at neilgodfrey.com and how they can become a, a member of your network. Well, I'd love you to go on neilgodfrey.com, and you can, for free, just join, and then you'll be part of this group of people who want to talk about different money issues at different life stages, starting from you know, when you're raising children all the way through your own issues of getting your first job, being a millennial, facing those things, deciding you want to have a family. Maybe you're stuck in the, in the uh, sandwich generation, taking care of your kids and taking care of your elderly parents. And then as you move on, looking at retirement and looking at these, those other money issues that we all have to face. So there's also a subscription that you can join to raise financially responsible children so you can just Click on Kids and Money. Right. Let's talk about some of the issues you bring up in Money Doesn't Grow on Trees. One of the things is an allowance. What are some general rules about setting up allowances for kids at different ages? I think it's really important to incubate the kids to start learning about money issues while they're still in the nest. And our kids are born with the I want, I want syndrome. And the only way that, that we can teach them that you get money is by earning it. There's no entitlement program out there. They have to earn their money by doing chores. So what I do is there are two types of chores within any household. There are citizen of the household chores where they don't get paid. And then there are work for pay chores. And citizens of the household chores are things like their own personal care, like brushing their teeth and getting up on time. And also, you're teaching them to be a good citizen of the household. And good citizens of the household pick up their toys, and they make sure that public spaces are clear for everybody in the household. They don't get paid for those, but you write a little chart, you put the, the um, chores down, and these are for younger kids, obviously. Now, work-for-pay chores are over and above that. And again, you get a chart and you list the chores. What I'm trying to do is teach these kids the life skills that are necessary to run a household. So you do them at different ages. 
So the little ones can set a table, not, not with knives, obviously, and then they can clear the table and put the napkins in the recycling and do those things. And for the older ones, they can learn to dust and vacuum and do the laundry and learn recycling and the garbage, all those chores so that they're taught before they leave the nest. And what I do is I pay them a weekly salary. And the deal is they have to do all their chores to get their money. And then I teach them how to budget that money. Yeah. As you say, they're, they're brought up with wants. How do you have, teach them to separate wants from needs uh, and when they approach what they want to buy? Well, what I do is I actually play games with the kids. And I do it when I'm in the car because they're a captive audience. So you've got the older kids kind of coaching the younger ones. And they start to learn the difference between want and need. Like I'll throw out, you know, hamburgers. And then somebody will say, well, you need food. You do. Do you need fast food? Well, no, you don't. Well, you need clothing. Okay, that's a need. Do you need designer clothing? No, that's a want. And it's fine for the kids to want stuff. They just have to understand that they have to earn the money to be able to buy themselves those items. That's all. You have a chapter on how to use the world as your financial classroom. What are some things that you mean in teaching kids about money in the real world? Well, what we do is we tend to shield kids from um, the real world of money. In fact, the only thing our kids ever see us do with money, Jordan, is they only see us spend it. They don't see us save. They don't see us pay bills. They don't see us give to charity. So part of the budget is to get them involved in how the real world works. So I tell parents, get four clear plastic jars and label them. First jar is the charity jar. And I make sure that 10% comes off that their allowance that they've earned to go into the charity jar. And you can tie the church or do sedaka at temple or give, you know, for a charity that you feel strongly about and get the kids involved in that. Then the next jar, the next 30%, is instant gratification. They worked hard. They get to spend some guilt-free money, just like we talked about with the financial infidelity, where no one's looking their, over their shoulder. But you set the overall parameters. If you don't want them to have chocolate, they don't get chocolate. But when you're in the grocery store and they're saying, I want this, I want this, you say, did you bring your quick cash? The, ne- the next third is medium-term savings. You're teaching them to push off instant gratification and save for something larger. So they can set a goal and they can save to buy that. Now, the little ones can only save for a week or two because they forget what they're saving for. Actually, we forget what they're saving for. And the older ones can pick uh, a more aggressive item to save for, you know, like an iPad. And if they've been responsible, you could do what I call a 401k matching plan and match dollar for dollar to help those kids save to reach their goal. And then the last third is long-term savings. That's the money that goes into their college fund or something that's longer term. Now, I know you're going to say, does a three-year-old understand the concept of long-term savings? And the answer is absolutely 
positively not. Well, and, and does a 10-year-old understand the concept of long-term savings? Absolutely, positively not. But I would also contend that the adults in America don't understand the concept of long-term savings. So wouldn't it be yeah. great if we could start these little ones on a habit when they're young? Yeah. And that's what I'm doing. You've also got a chapter on what parents need to tell kids about their own finances. It's probably a big secret in many cases. What are some things that the parents should be telling the kids about their own finances? Well, it is always a big secret. And my whole thing is you need to do welcome to planet Earth with your kids. Don't expect them to magically understand how bills work if you've never involved them. So I have a bill-paying game. When they're about 10 or 11 years old, I have you sit down at the dining room table with your bills and with, um, you know, if you want, you can make it real visual in terms of, of paying yourself in dollars, or you can just do it on the computer with the kids and sit down and let them understand, okay, here's what I get paid, and here's what goes to taxes, here's what goes to mortgage or rent, here's what goes to the car, here's what we pay for utilities, on and on and on, and college savings, and my retirement, and let them really, really see. And here's what goes to credit cards, guys. Now, as a family, let's think of ways we could reduce some of these bills and get the kids involved in money-saving activities. Indeed. Very good. So just summing up, what kind of difference does it make in children's lives if they get this training early compared to the way most people who have none of this before they get out of the household? Well, first of all, it's never too young and it's never too old. So if you haven't done this, you still can start, and on my website, I can talk, I talk to you about how to start them at different ages. That's number one, so don't get discouraged. And number two, we know that only 10 hours of financial literacy training can have a profound effect on kids, and that may be teaching them to go on a budget. That may teaching, you know, be teaching them to have a summer job or to pay taxes or to start some budget for themselves. So we know we can have that effect. So why wouldn't we do it? And why wouldn't we work together to raise financially responsible children so they grow up with a happy and healthy attitude toward money? Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest for this first half hour has been Neil Godfrey. She's the president of the Children's Financial Network. She's the author of 27 books on these topics of personal finance and family dynamics. Uh, the one we talked about today is called Money Doesn't Grow on Trees. You can find out more about her at her website, which is neilgodfrey.com. Neil spelled N-E-A-L-E, godfrey.com, and you can, you can join as a free member on that website. Thanks so much for being on the Money Answer Show, Neil. Thank you, Jordan. This was great. Thanks so much. We'll be back after this. Molecule is reimagining the future of clean air, starting with the air purifier. It's the only purifier that actually destroys allergens instead of collecting them for disposal. Molecule was developed over 20 years by a scientist whose son suffered from asthma and was frustrated by the fact that the traditional HEPA air filters did not relieve his son's symptoms. Molecule's proven technology actually destroys harmful pollutants like bacteria, viruses, mold, allergens, and airborne chemicals at the molecular level, completely removing them from the air you breathe.
Molecule is your best defense against asthma and allergy attacks. When you turn on your Molecule machine, you're creating the purest air possible, combating allergy season by destroying allergens in your home. We've heard hundreds of stories from parents, pet lovers, and severe allergy and asthma sufferers about how Molecule has transformed their lives. One customer even said she was able to breathe through her nose for the first time in 15 years. Molecule doesn't look like a traditional air purifier. It's beautifully designed. Think of it as the apple of air purifiers. Not only is the technology inside revolutionary, but the unit itself looks sleek and modern. Breathing clean air can help you sleep better, too. Placing your molecule next to your bed clears the air you're breathing, helping you get the best night of sleep you've ever had. As a Money Answer Show listener, try out Molecule for yourself. Go to Molecule.com, that's spelled M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com, and at checkout, enter code MONEYANSWERS to get $75 off your first order. That's Molecule.com and the code MONEYANSWERS to get $75 off your first Molecule air filter. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this half hour is Tony Watley. He's the president of 365driven.com and author of a new book called Side Hustle Millionaire, how to build a, sm- a side business that creates financial freedom. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Tony. Hey, Jordan. Thanks for having me on, and I can't wait to share some value with your awesome listenership. Excellent. So just tell us a little bit of your history uh, as an entrepreneur, and you sold a business. Just kind of give us a brief history of what you did to, to get to where you are today. I guess I'm a native Houstonian, and I was in the oil and gas industry for the last 25 years, but I always opened businesses in the automotive performance arena. So for the last 19 years, I've been a business owner as a side business owner while working a busy professional job. And I created a business in 2001 that became one of the largest online communities for performance cars under the General Motors portfolio. Had about 160,000 members, registered members on that site, mostly advertising revenue, had some national racing events around that. 
And six years later, we sold that for a multiple seven-figure exit. And then after, that was called uh, LS1 Tech, is that right? That's correct, ls1tech.com. Yeah, and then so after you, you uh, collected a big amount of selling that out, what was your next move after that? I did a spinoff. I used to have a side hustle within a side hustle. I used to be selling high-end custom-made wheels for cars, average ticket around $5,000 a sale type thing, and that was something I did while I was running LS1 Tech, but I decided once we sold it, they didn't want any part of that, so I basically started deviate motoring, and I've had that about 12 years now, so selling high-end wheels online, drop ship type business model, very little time requirements to give your listeners ideas, about $800,000 in revenue per year, working about 15 minutes a day. Great, very good. So this is the side hustle world we're in, where people are doing Uber and they're doing Lyft and Airbnb and lot, lots of things where it's, they're doing things in addition to their primary jobs. Why has that got such momentum now? I think that a lot of times with the corporate jobs, we fall into positions that do not give us creative outlets or maybe not as much responsibility or leadership opportunities as we would like to be able to handle. We get told that we had to wait in line for that, that promotion or wait in line for the next thing. And you start to look down the stream or upstream of where you're at and you look at your supervisor, maybe their supervisor, maybe they don't really necessarily have the income or the lifestyle that you desire. And here you're looking at something five to 10 years down the road to get something that you don't desire. So people start to be creative. They start to think, hey, what can I do on the outside of this to give me that creative outlet to maybe practice my leadership, to try something that's betting on myself, build maybe some more parachute, more job security, things like that. So when things maybe should happen, you have some money to fall back onto. It's very important for people to start to do that. And we have a lot of unique skills and talents, every single one of us. And if you can figure out how to monetize those things with a side business or better yet, an online business that doesn't take much time, you start to see a real revenue increase and you understand like, hey, I don't really need to rely on my job. Because let's face it, you know, Jordan, like job security is just kind of a fallacy nowadays. Indeed, yeah. So your website is called 365driven.com. What can people find at that website? Mostly they'll find uh, my own podcast. I've got a podcast. I run two episodes a day. It's an entrepreneurship-based podcast. I interview guests about an hour long each. I've got the tab for my best-selling book on Amazon and also some of the, the business coaching things. So I'm actually a business startup coach. I've helped people start up, scale, and sell their companies. I'm one of the, you know, the only one 1% of the companies out there have ever been sold and it's a unique experience that I like to help people to get to that. So at the beginning of Side Hustle Millionaire, you talk about the mindset you need to become a successful entrepreneur and somebody who's got a side hustle. What, what is, are the elements you need to have a successful mindset to be successful? I think a lot of times people just don't get started because they're worried, not by failure. Failure is a high level excuse. Most people are like, hey, I'm afraid of fail. We all say that. Well, we know we fail every day. Everything we do, we do something that doesn't come up right or even at the gym, like the last set, we fail that last rep. That's just kind of by design and understand that's part of the process. But most people, it's really not the failure that people are afraid of. They're really afraid of what people will say about their failure. That's kind of what holds most people back from trying to start. So really gaining the self-confidence and the way you do that is just by betting on yourself and taking these small steps and being honest with yourself and keeping your your promises to yourself you'll start to see that this momentum that you build builds the real confidence and able for you to execute the businesses that you want. So it's really a matter of just getting started and not waiting until you think you know everything. Too many people think that they need to know every answer and things got to be perfect before they start. But you'll find that every successful entrepreneur out there 
they'll tell you flat out that they just jumped in and figured it out as they went. Yeah. So the next step is business idea evaluation. So there's lots of different possible businesses you could go into. How do you narrow it down to the one that uh, you should really focus on? So we take a look at your financial goals and your time goals. They're two different things because I don't really link time and money. I think nowadays people need to get away from just thinking the employee mindset of their trading hours for dollars. I think about how can we create income without time commitments? I mean, you heard two examples of me, but the, the big company I created was about an hour per day. And the one I currently have is about 15 minutes per day. And they both increase, uh, you know, bringing in some six figure income. So it can be done without trading sole hours. So the mindset is really critical because we're trying to get the business model that's going to get you the po best possible, I guess, outcome for your goals. So if you decide, hey, Tony, I want to make $100,000 a year. I want to make $150,000 a year. And we start looking at the business ideas that you have. We really have to be honest with ourselves. Are those businesses viable enough to get you to that? Because sometimes we come up with a good idea, but they consume too much of our time, maybe require too much startup capital, and it's just not realistic for the goal that you're going to have. So you have to have the hard truth time. And sometimes the best ideas you just have to walk away from, or maybe you're not ready for that best idea, the dream business. And we need to start one or two other companies in between to get you the revenue or the exit plan to be able to start that dream business. A lot of people tap out when they look at the financial input and there's just steps. It's all staircases to the top and there's a lot of different ways to get up there. Yeah. What difference has it made for people to be able to do online businesses that didn't exist before, before the whole internet uh, kind of allowed business to, to work that way? I think it's really the, the time factor. I, I really don't want to ever work anywhere that has hours posted on the front where I have to be somewhere at a certain time frame. It's the employee mindset. And even you'll start to see large corporations start to move away from that in the next five years. You're starting to see a lot more people working from home. Flex hours are starting to come into play because we're really starting to realize, you know, that, hey, our time is more valuable than sometimes the dollars that are coming in. So, Employers, if they're going to want to keep the talented employees, they're going to have to be more flexible with time commitments. And we can start to think about how we can scale things. So a lot of people starting a business brick and mortar, they're really relying on their zip code. And even when mail order was a thing, they're just really thinking about, hey, I got to, I got these customers that I got to ship things to. And maybe some of the shipping costs make the, the sale prohibitive. But when you have digital businesses, online business, basically the world or anyone that carries a smartphone in this world could potentially be your customer. I mean, I, I ship wheels all over this world. I've got customers in Japan, the Middle East, Europe, Canada, South America. There's endless amounts of customers out there. And honestly, you only need about 1,000 customers to make a really lucrative business in most business models. So one important thing you say to make a business succeed is to have branding uh, correct. What are some tips on getting a good brand that's really going to work? I like to build brands that do not have a limiting factor. So one of the things I, I see most people make a mistake with is they build a brand with a name or something that limits the potential growth or the market direction that their company could go in. Like for example, if I were to call my business Houston Wheel, you know, Houston Wheels, so it's a one that's a regional border that doesn't really even need it's there's no necessity there. So Someone that's in Ohio sees Houston Wheel, they're like, well, I don't want to buy from them because I'm in Ohio. So it, it, you create these boundaries that aren't even necessary. So don't do that. Always think about businesses that can scale to something bigger than yourself. A lot of new business owners like to give the company their name. So they, if I were to name my company Tony Watley LLC, 
what if that grows into some giant company and like I want to be able to sell it, but I'm attached to that somehow? You know, like for example, I one of the big motivational speakers, Tony Robbins, he can't ever sell his his brand because he is the brand. You know what I mean? So a lot of times people think about things too small. You got to be able to have a brand that can scale larger than you, and you never want to be the bottleneck in your company's growth. So I like to I like to pick names that are just kind of vague that that can be used to go where the market is going to tell you because sometimes you you have a great startup product or great startup service and a couple months maybe a couple years into it the market is telling you hey we want you over here you're doing this stuff better like we want you over here and you have to have that flexibility built into your business model to shift to the direction that the market's telling you to go but sometimes the name doesn't make sense so a lot of these large corporations that are out there nowadays are based on acronym names that really had nothing to do with the original you know, business that they started. Do you think that's a problem that some entrepreneurs are not willing to change and adapt and the marketplace is telling them to go a different direction? Absolutely. We see a lot of times ego kills a lot of businesses. So what would be maybe an example of that where ego killed a business? Oh, man. If I would have studied, I could think of some names off the top of my head, but... I, I could tell you that, you know, what is it, 50% of businesses fail within the first two years? That kind of gives you an idea. And even from the 50% that are still around, not all of them are profitable. There's a lot of companies out there losing money those first two years. So understand that you just have to be able to be flexible. And I think that's important nowadays. It's it's We can have a best business model, the best intention, especially we're trying to go into what they call blue ocean strategies and things like that. We're trying to create our own niche but sometimes the market responds differently and they're like, hey, we want you over here. You're doing this better product and can you do this? Like sometimes the side dish that you you created actually becomes the main course. Yeah. Is it possibly, I mean, people are brought up to be employees for the most part. That's the way the school system is set up. There are some entrepreneurial programs out there, but is it possible for a lot of people brought up as employees to make that shift? I believe anybody can be an entrepreneur as long as they get the right influence, the right lessons, the right coach, reading the right books. They're surrounding themselves with the right people. I mean, we've all heard that the the inner circle that you decide to hang around with becomes, you know, you become them. And it's so true. And I've seen that at different levels of my life. As, as you start to level up through your life, so to speak, some people disappear from your circle and you gain new people from that circle. So understand that your influence is definitely decided what your goals are. A lot of times we have these goals, we have these six figures like success type things and, you know, trading hours for dollars. Now we get a lot of times that people just set their goals based on what other goals of the people that are around them. So I, I think anybody can be an entrepreneur with the right mindset, right education. Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest for this half hour is Tony Watley. He's the president at 365driven.com. That's his website author of a book called Side Hustle Millionaire, How to Build a Side Business that Creates Financial Freedom. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. 
If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth in Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth in Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthinequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this half hour is Tony Watley. He is the president at 365driven.com, author of a book called Side Hustle Millionaire, How to Build a Side Business that creates financial freedom. His website is 365driven.com. Welcome back to the show, Tony. Thanks, Jordan. What is, do you think, the defining factor that separates a successful from a not successful entrepreneur slash side hustle millionaire? I would say the key factor I've determined, even interviewing several, several hundred entrepreneurs, is the ability to take action and not so worried about the risk. There's a lot of times... I find that a lot of times the entrepreneurs that that do really well tend to be the honestly the adrenaline junkie types, the stuntmen type people. They're 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 really just they look at the upside, the reward versus the downside. There's too many people focused on downside, so they take no action at all. Like a lot of times, we talked about earlier in the show how people's critics, you know, they're worried about what people are going to say about them. But if the worst thing is that somebody makes fun of you or or talks negatively about you, that's the worst thing. But the possibility, the upside is that you earn millions of dollars. Like, why would you not take that? But so many people just do not start because of that thing. So the people who will become successful tend to be the ones who show up every single day, maintain that consistency, and have a strong enough purpose to see through the hard times. You talked about branding your business. What are some key ways to do marketing? Because marketing is what it's ultimately all about and getting out to the world uh, what you're offering, the product or service you're offering. Well, I've seen, I guess, for the last 20 years, a lot of shift happening with the marketing side. Back when I started my first company, there was no social media. So the things that we have, Instagram, Facebook, even LinkedIn, Twitter, all these different social media platforms didn't exist 10 years ago. So I had to start companies from cold calling and just cold emailing initially. That's how we built the first company, the very successful one. The social media aspect has really changed the marketing and, and branding things all together nowadays. And it's a, it's a different dynamic. And you'll find a lot of people still have the, the old style belief where they're trying to put ads in front of eyeballs. It doesn't work so well on social media nowadays. You have to be more present. People like to do business with those who they recognize, they like, and they trust. And there's no better way right now than doing live videos and videos and video formats, but it can't be about your product. Nowadays, when you're creating something or you're selling something, it's really about building a personal brand or around a brand that's entertaining people, educating people, or inspiring people. Those three things, those three factors in a video are going to have the most organic reach and most paid reach that's going to entertain people, educate them on some product or do things because we got to get away from just sticking product in people's face and talking about product, product, product. It's really about adding value and teaching somebody something. And then they go, hey, what does this person sell? And then they go do the reverse and they find out what you sell, what services you offer, 
And then if they like you or they need you, then they're going to do that business with you. So it's kind of an indirect marketing now works a lot better on social media. Yeah. A lot of people worried about getting funding for a, a new business of some kind. There's crowdfunding today. There's venture capital. What, what are some ways, and you talk about this in your Side Hustle Millionaire book, that people can get funding uh, to get their, their business uh, to the next level? I would say that money is like number two, well, actually number three. I would say the number three excuse common among entrepreneurs is like, I can't get started because I don't have the money, Tony. And one of the hard truths I had to share with them that not everybody likes to hear the answer to this, but I tell them, hey, you not having money is not the problem. It's you not doing what it takes to get more money is the problem because you can actually do a lot of different things to build the startup capital. When I started my company, I was working three jobs. I had a full-time job and two part-time jobs. Doesn't sound luxurious it doesn't sound you know desirable by any means but that's the way it was and i was willing to do what it took to start it so a lot of times people think it's not the money but it's not the willingness to do what it takes to get the money that really is the problem but other than that you can borrow i mean friends if they if you've got a good enough reputation and you can borrow from friends and family hopefully you can have home equity loans that are out there you can you know bet your house so to speak sometimes you can sell some of the assets that you may have, or maybe just do some house clearing. You may have thousands of dollars of stuff. Most people do laying around their house that they can just get rid of to try to start something. Cause honestly, an online business does not take that much money to start up. If you have $500, you could probably start an online business today, especially with some of the sites like Shopify and different places like that do not really require money. But one of the big excuses I see is like someone who comes to me like, Hey Tony, I want to, I want to own an exotic car dealership. And I'm like, well, do you have a hundred million dollars? And they're like, no. I was like, well, I guess you can't start an exotic car dealership. And and some people would take that as a dream killer. Like, well, you're just killing my dreams. I can't do this. I was like, well, how about you go start another company that earns you a million and then you sell that. And then you go start up another company that earns you 10 million. And then you sell that. And then you go start up another company that earns you 50. You see that you, you build these stepping stone businesses. Yeah. Don't, don't give up because a, a, a true entrepreneur, we will always figure out a way to do what we want to do. Always. Yeah. You talk a lot about website development. What are some of the key uh, uh, attributes of a website that make for a successful uh, startup business? Well, first of all, the, the, the critical thing is the first page that they land on. We, we call that above the fold. So when somebody visits your web page, if they do not know what you do or what your services are in the first three seconds, chances are they're going to exit out. So the above the fold page is the first thing they see without scrolling. And they need to land on this page. It needs to be a really simple statement. And those who have you know graciously heard you mention my website, if they go visit, the first thing they see is a, is a dude standing next to a cliff with his hands out and a caption that says, we build entrepreneurs. So there's no like, what does this company do when they arrive? They're like, oh, we, we build entrepreneurs. That's that's what they do. So it's real simple. And then you don't want to have a lot of fluff on the, on the page that can distract people from what you actually do. A lot of people try to sell their company on the on the, on the main page, they're talking about their company. Like, oh, we're in a business 25 years. We're doing this and this and this and this. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about your company. They want to know what the results that you're selling. They want to know what you provide to them. They want to know what the outcome of working with you is and save all the company information for the about tab. That's like another page. It's not the main page. Indeed. You also talk about different uh, corporate structures. Uh, some people say when you start a business, you want to set it up so you're able to sell it later. What are the structures that most people should be using when they're starting up a business? 
I think that typically for a small company, we usually just use LLCs. They just kind of gives you the liability protection. So if you're building anything or involved in anything that can potentially have lawsuits, it's a good way to create the division between your personal assets and the company assets. So they can sue the company, but they can't go after your house. A lot of people make the mistake of doing a DBA, doing business as that's basically attached to your own social security number, and it's really in it exists to build transparency within the market. So, if you're calling yourself, you know, I don't know, example, uh, Tony's tel- cell phones like DBA, that just means like you're really doing business with Tony Watley and his social security number. But here's the problem with that: if if you create a DBA, you have no legal protection, you have no liability protection. So if someone has a problem with you, something caused that your product or service that they're going to sue you, they can actually go for your personal because it's based to your on your social security number. LLC gives you that protection. That's why we use it. Other corporations that we go bigger with the S Corp or you know, C Corps, these are for companies that are going to grow where they have shareholders and stock and things like that. So it's really going to look at, you can always change these, these formats as you go as well. So you can start out DBA. You can create an LLC later. You can always go to corp later. A lot of times it has to do with your tax guy. He's going to tell you like, this is the best format for you for your tax savings. Yeah. In about two minutes we have left, just kind of summarize what difference it can make in people's lives to create their own businesses and to create a successful side hustle. I would say the unspoken thing that doesn't really get mentioned much about business ownership is the level of confidence that it brings to the table, even as an employee. So here's the thing. When you work in a corporate setting, most employers out there tend to use your paycheck as kind of a leverage type thing. And they do threats. They do these things. They kind of keep you in your place and you, you feel like you're you're not being treated right or maybe you feel like you're underpaid or underappreciated and a lot of times they go, hey, we need you to come in on the weekends and you don't really have any confidence to say no because you're worried about your paycheck. They're always just kind of using that as the bait or the leverage to keep you doing things because let's face it, most people are paid just enough to really tolerate what they're doing. They're not really happy with what they're doing. They're just tolerating it and they pay you just enough to tolerate it. So, if you want to build a business, you're going to gain a level of confidence where people are not going to be able to push you around at these kind of things. When you can walk around the corporate world with a parachute, knowing that you can earn and pay your bills without them, you're going to have a different level of confidence and it's going to reflect in everything you do. And that's not saying being arrogant or cocky. It just means that you're going to have a lot more confidence. You're actually going to climb that corporate ladder a little bit better because of that confidence. And that's one thing that I would say that's not spoken so much well in the in the side business type business type format. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this half hour has been Tony Watley. He's president at 365driven.com, and that's the website you can go to, 365driven.com. His book is called Side Hustle Millionaire, How to Build a Side Business that Creates Financial Freedom. Thanks so much for being on The Money Answer Show, Tony. Hey, Jordan. Thanks for having me, and if anyone's ever got any questions, you know where to find me. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.